Hi, you're listening to the preaching and teaching ministry of Second Baptist Church Conway. These resources are not designed to take the place of a local church, but we hope they will encourage you on your journey with Christ. For more information about how you can connect with the Second Family, visit mysecond.family. Thanks for listening. If you have your Bible, turn to Luke chapter 1. Luke chapter 1 is where we're going to be this morning as we continue in this series of series in the Gospel of Luke. If you have the journals, the, the scripture journals, notebooks, we're on page 6 and 8 this morning. Those are still available in the lobby um, for $5 donation. And that, that gets that for you, and uh, it's a great way to kind of uh, collect your resources. Several people have shown uh, me the, so, sort of the page of notes that they're taking, which is encouraging, which is neat, and, and it's cool to see some of the, the insights that our church family is bringing from the Word of God. You don't ever want to be just fed by the preacher. You want to eat on your own. And uh, so that's one of the cool things about the scripture journals there. I have read and I have heard that uh, the opening moves, the opening sequence in the game of chess is incredibly important. In fact, there are 1,372 opening sequence or opening moves uh, known. They're, they're, and, and by that count, what I mean is there is a book there is a book with all of these in there. For the life of me, I think I, um, through playing a little bit of chess, can, I know one, all right? I don't know people who can memorize 1,702 or 1,372 sequences, but they do, and uh, it, it helps a lot. Depending on your uh, level of skill or your practice in the game, the opening sequence or the opening move or what's called your opening can set you up for either defeats or victory. The opening makes a huge difference in the game. And this is true on a number of different settings. It's true in a number of different disciplines in our lives that the opening matters. Even though we are now going to start the second of these two sermons, we are actually rounding out Luke's opening. This may be a shock to you, but I always find it to be an interesting little tidbit. Luke wrote the majority of the New Testament. Now, most people would have bet that it would be Paul because he wrote more books. But between Luke and Acts, and there are some people that say Hebrews, but Luke and Acts alone are more words in the New Testament than all of the words that Paul penned. So Luke writes the majority of it. That story that he sets up is two volumes. One really focuses on Jesus and the work of Jesus, and the other one focuses on the Holy Spirit working through the church, that whole movement of God's mission. Those two volumes open with these two stories. He sets up the story of Jesus and the church with two birth announcements. Here's the amazing thing to me. You could start the story of Jesus in any number of ways, in hundreds of different ways to begin this story of the greatest human God-made man ever. But Luke chooses in these two ways to open his story up with these birth announcements, and it does so in the most appropriate way. We're going to see exactly what that means and how it fleshes into the story here in just a minute. But before we do, let's pray together. God, thank you for your words. Thank you for the story, the genius that you gave to Luke as he opens this story up, as he opens this narrative of your son, of Jesus Christ. 
God, I pray that we are challenged by these two announcements, that the way they relate together and the way they stand on their own would be encouraging to us. They would strengthen us. They would change our perspective, not only of waiting as being a gift like last week, but also of grace being the gift this week. God, be with us today. Be with our minds. Be with my mouth. It's in Jesus' name we pray together. Amen. Last week, I told you the story, but this week, it's not that many verses, so I wanted to read them to you. And so if you have your Bible, turn to Luke chapter 1. We're going to be in verse 26. I'm going to read uh, uh, 10 or so verses to you. You follow along in the story. And here's the cool thing about it. You know the story. You've seen this story before. You've heard it. You've maybe seen it in animation or, or your Sunday school teacher told you when you were young. Even if you didn't grow up in church or you're tuning in for the first time with a religious service, then you probably know something about this story. So what I want you to do as I'm reading the story is pick apart the parts of a narrative. We all know that stories have beginnings and they have conflicts and then they have resolutions, all that sort of. Find that arch as I read the story. Really engage in it. Here's what the Word of God says. Luke 1, 26. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent by God to a town in Galilee called Nazareth to a virgin engaged to a man named Joseph of the house of David. The virgin's name was Mary. And the angel came to her and said, Greetings, favored woman. The Lord is with you. But she was deeply troubled by this statement, wondering what kind of greeting could this be? Then the angel told her, Do not be afraid, Mary. For you have found favor with God. Now listen, you will conceive and give birth to a son, and you will name him Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give him a throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and his kingdom will have no end. Mary asked the angel, How can this be since I have not had sexual relations with a man? And the angel replied to her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of God or the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. And consider your relative, Elizabeth. Even she has conceived a son in her old age, and this is the sixth month of her who was called childless. For nothing will be impossible with God. Verse 38, she says, See or look, I am the Lord's servant, said Mary. May it happen to me as you have said. And then the angel left her. Uh, you, you can easily see. It's, it's a familiar story, like I said. The angel visits Mary, tells her she's going to conceive and have a child, even though she was a virgin. And this child that she's going to have is going to be Jesus. He's going to be uh, exceptional. He's going to be uh, quite amazing. But as you probably picked up just from reading the two stories, that these two stories go together. This is, the, this is the part two to the part one we read last week. It has a similar storyline. It has similar um, situation in which you have the angel Gabriel appearing to Zechariah in the first story. And he lets him know that his wife Elizabeth is going to have a child. In that, we learn that waiting is a gift. Waiting, like what Zechariah was waiting for, what the people were waiting for. It's a gift that God uses to make us into the kind of people that he wants us to be. In these two stories, because they are told in the way that they are told, they demand, they, they force us to compare the two stories. When you just read it, uh, maybe you don't see as much, but if you go back through the story slowly, you can see how they are very, very similar. A lot of the same things are going on. Let me show you some of those similarities. First of all, in both stories, there is a specific place a specific region 
and a specific town. Judea is mentioned here in, um, or Judea is mentioned in John, sorry, that's where Jerusalem is. They're in the middle of the country. Galilee, up in the northern part of the country, is the setting for our story here. Nazareth is where Mary is. Jerusalem is where Zechariah was, because that's where the temple was. And so you have Jerusalem and Nazareth. In both stories, the angel Gabriel is the one who shows up. This seems to be his job. He shows up with big uh, news alerts. He's going to let Mary know something. He's going to let John know something. In the Old Testament, he let Daniel know what he was dreaming about. That's what Gabriel does. In both stories, there's an initial surprise. Uh, Zechariah uh, was terrified, it says, and Mary is deeply troubled. This is a common, a common response in the Bible when it comes to angels appearing uh, to people. This is the way that people uh, react when they see an angel. Because, you know, uh, angels are not fat little babies. Angels are soldiers of God. And so people tend to be a little startled when an angel appears for, uh, before them. By the way, they are also not nice people that have died. Birth announcements. In both stories, they are um, birth announcements. Zechariah, your wife is going to have a child. In this story, Mary, you're the winner. You're going to have a child. Uh, both of them have some questioning. They respond with some initial questions. That makes sense to us, right? Um, so an angel appears to you, tells you you're going to have a child. Then uh, you've got some questions. But if you look uh, a little bit more carefully, Zacharias are rooted in doubt, whereas Mary's are, are sort of grounded in wonder and amazement. Zechariah kind of doubted that it would happen. Mary's like, this is amazing, but how? Like, I mean, I'm, I'm not sure how that, that would work, you know, obviously. Both stories, the angel responds to the questioning uh, with some assurances. Like in the first story, you remember last week, Zechariah had some questions and the angel responds by saying, you're not going to be able to speak, uh, you know, while your baby's being made. You're not going to be able to speak for that, that whole time. And then Mary's confirmation is the fact that her cousin Elizabeth is having a child in her old age. So the first story is the confirmation uh, for the second story, and both stories end with the mamas accepting. Both stories end with the mama saying, all right, let's do this thing, right? And so they both have that sort of in the working. Both stories are lined out exactly the same way. And for Luke to be doing this, for Luke to be telling these stories in the same way, he is telling them to convey some sort of meaning. Now, now hear what I'm saying on this. He is telling the story in a certain way, and the way he's telling the story is conveying a certain meaning. Before we even get into the content or the context of the stories, that their similarities are conveying to us, are teaching us something about what Luke is about to unfold in not only this story, in the birth story of Jesus our Savior, but also in the story of Jesus and in the story of the church. This is the opening to that huge, big work of art that Luke is going to convey. Another thing that I want to be very clear about is this. These two stories are true. Now, any number of novels or, or works of art start in, in very creative ways. They start in these very gripping ways. That's what makes a good story a good story. Or it's part of it. It really sets it up for it to be how it opens. But when you're writing fiction, then you can do that. When you're writing a, a screenplay, when you're writing a movie, you can do that. You can set it up however you want to set it up. But 
saying that and showing that similarity, I want to be very careful here that we don't drift into the idea that these are made-up stories and they're told in such a way that is, uh, is gripping but still fictional. These are true stories that are told in such a way to communicate an idea, to communicate some sort of grand truth. So what is it that Luke is trying to communicate? What is he doing by setting up these two stories, laying them over top of one another in such a parallel? There's three main ideas. The first one is that John's story broke the weight. That there was a great weight and John's story announcement broke the waiting and Jesus is what they were waiting for. John's announcement broke the waiting. Jesus is what they were waiting for. John would be great, but Jesus would be greater still. A king is coming. And we know that because it's Herald, the king's herald, or the king's announcer is coming as well. So the kings had a person that would say, like, you know, hear ye, hear ye, the king is here. That sort of thing. Announcing, letting everybody know that the king is here. John is that king's announcer. Jesus is that king. Waiting, greatness, royalty. That's what's being told just in the way that the stories are lining up. In other words, what John is communicating here is that this whole story— the one we've already talked about, this one, and the ones that we are going to talk about for 24 weeks, all the way through Luke. And then if we were to do Acts all the way through all of that, is about Jesus. This is all about Jesus, and Jesus is great. In fact, he is so great that you can't start the story with him. You have to have preparation to make it all makes sense. That's all of the things that are in place. That's all what Luke is setting up, like this beautiful chess opening sequence that he's showing us. With all of that in place, I want to zone in. I want to focus in on one aspect of this story. Like last week and like we will do next week, I want to, I want to look at what the angels say. Uh, the, the words of the angel and specifically the response that those who are um, reading this or those who are looking at this will give. So if we'll take just a second, I want to pause that and, and talk to you about something else. And it's wrapping paper. I want to ask you something about wrapping paper. I have some examples of wrapping paper uh, down here. And, and here's the specific question that I have when it comes to wrapping paper. It's something that I've noticed. Maybe you have noticed it as well. When you go into other people's homes during the Christmas holiday season, right, you'll see uh, presents wrapped underneath the tree. One of the things that I, uh, doesn't really dawn on you when you're in your own home, but it does stand out to you when you're in other people's homes is... Wrapping paper choice. I think it says something about the person, something about the family. Here's a couple of examples I have here. Um, this is just a gold uh, sort of wrapping paper. And, and what I'm asking you guys is, what is your favorite wrapping paper? What would be your favorite style of wrapping paper? This is what I would call elegant. Uh, in the first service, I called it eloquent. Um, which was not eloquent of me to say. But this is elegant. It's just got gold. It's, it's, it's more traditional. It's really pretty. I think, I think some people would have um, styles like that. So that's one. What's the price, What's the price of it? We're going to get to that in just a second. Um, I was going to see if that would stand up. No, it does not. All right. And then the, the other one that I have here is, I, I think this is a little bit more whimsical. This has little avocados on it. And it says, Avo Holly Jolly Christmas on there. 
I like that. Um, and there's something, you know, I just want to tell you something about this one. It's real thick. It's really nice. I'm not selling any of this, um, but this one's really nice. I got it at Home Goods if you're interested. And on the back, it has a little grid so you can cut it and line it up. That's good. This, this one comes with features, all right? And so that's some good wrapping paper right there. All right, these ones were made by the devil because um, they have glitter on it. I did not know they had glitter on it until last night when I opened this up. And now there's glitter in my house. There's glitter in my toothbrush. There's glitter everywhere. Um, so anyhow, this one's a little bit different. It's more, um, it's kind of traditional, but it's playful. And it's got a pattern to it. I think some people have this sort of thing on. Um, maybe not the glitter, but you know, you've got that. And then this one's more playful. Um, it's like a bomb, you know, glitter. It's like, oh my gosh. All right, and so this one is more playful. This one has little Santa's dancing on it. Y'all see those and shimmering and shake. I don't know. Which one is your kind of favorite? Because here's what I'm asking, and here's the part. Watch, that'll be the only one. The one with, the one with Santa. Um, but that, that is, um, my curiosity is which one is your favorite? But more specifically, and this will be relevant here in just a minute. More specifically, I'm curious about why is this one your favorite? Is it something about the features of it? Like I said, that this one has um, the grids on it and it's thick. It won't tear real easy. Whereas um, the Santa one tore really super easy. Um, or is it the characters on it? Is that, why does it make it your favorite? What about it is your favorite? As we look at this, then I want to zoom in on what Mary said. How Mary is responding to the angel. It says in Luke 1, 28 through 30. Look at that, those verses there just for a second. It says, And the angel came to her and said, Greetings, favored woman. The Lord is with you. But she was deeply troubled by this statement, wondering what kind of greeting this could be. And then the angel told her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. This is the interaction between the angel and Mary. And, and I'm, so, I'm so captured by these two words, deeply troubled. The word means that uh, she was confused or perplexed. The angel shows up, he says something, and the Bible says that Mary is confused. She's perplexed by it. It's, it's bothersome to her. I don't know what all sort of emotions go into that, but I would imagine something like fear or anxiety, maybe insecurity or, or uncertainty. All of this is happening in a split second. The angel says something to her, and all of these emotions are welling up inside of her. Now, for those of us like you and like myself who, who really know this story, then, then you're kind of saying to yourself, well, of course, Sure, of course she's deeply troubled by this. He's about to tell her that she's going to birth the Savior of the world, that her child will sit on a throne that, that lasts forever, that, that her child is the long-awaited Mashiach, the Yeshua. This is the one that everyone has been waiting on. Any of us would feel deeply troubled by that announcement. But the problem is that the angel hasn't said any of that yet. The, the angel hasn't told her any of that, and there is no reason for, to, for her to assume that that's what's about to happen. So what confused her? What bothered her about what the angel said? Think of it like this. Have you ever spoken to somebody, maybe a child, a friend, a spouse, 
And as you are speaking to them, you can tell by their face that they're not following. They're not tracking what you're saying. They're a little confused. And so what do you do? You repeat yourself. You repeat yourself to try to help them understand what's going on. Look in verse 28. And then the angel said to her, and this is what bothered her, greetings, favored woman. The Lord is with you. And then in 30, he says, don't be afraid. You have found favor with God. Favor is the repeated phrase. Favor is the repeated idea. This is for whatever reason what bothered her. And when I read that, and to be honest with you, like all of my life when I've heard this story, it makes sense to me, right? It's like uh, Mary is God's favorite. It just doesn't bother me. And I don't think any of you would be bothered by that idea either. You would think, yeah, of course, Mary is God's favorite. We all know that God doesn't play favorites and that all humans are broken. But if he did, and I was standing up here and I was to tell you, Mary is God's favorite human ever, then I think most of us would be like, yeah, that makes sense. That, that makes a lot of sense. Whenever you see her in the Bible, she's always depicted as meek and mild. She calls herself the servant of the Most High in verse 38. So a, a meek and mild servant of the Most High. Also add to the fact that she is Jesus's mama. She fed him and changed him and, and taught him how to walk. She, she cared for him and held him. She nurtured him. So in every possible way, it makes sense to me that Mary would be God's favorites. But, and I'm not wanting to argue that she is not God's favorite. I just want to point this out. Favorites and favored are not the same thing. Favorites and favored are not the same thing. In fact, the word there for favor in both uses of it is charis. It means grace. It's another way to say grace. When the Bible says greeting, when the angel says greeting favored woman, he is saying greeting woman that God has chosen based on his own compassion and his own decisions. Greeting chosen woman. That alone, out of the blue, is something that would deeply trouble you. If the angel showed up in your place all of a sudden said hey God chooses you whatever follows that is going to be deeply troubling in fact whatever follows that may upset your whole world and what Mary is dealing with here is that she feels rightly so that she has there's no reason for God to choose her L let me show you this way in the same way that the two stories uh, line up in such a way that it demands that we show similarities, it's also helpful for us to see what the, what the differences are. How do the two stories contrast? Here's a couple of those contrasts. The, the two regions. Judea and Galilee could not be more different. Galilee is up in the north, like I said, and it is surrounded by Gentiles. It's not that they're irreligious or they don't have a religion. It's just that they don't take it very seriously. They're sort of kind of religious. Down in Judea, where Jerusalem is, those folks are zealots. That would be the Bible belt of Israel. Those folks have this religion in every part of their life. Very religious, not at all religious, or not very religious. And that's where Mary is, right? The mother of our Savior. The two cities are also extremely different. Jerusalem is 
at this time and arguably today, the most important city in all of the world. Nazareth is some backwoods out of, you know, uh, redneck podunky town that nobody goes to. In fact, my joke all week has been that it took the angel six months to get there. It says it twice that he was in Jerusalem and six months later he's in Nazareth. It's such a out of the way town. Not at all important. Not religious, not important. Then think of this, and this is pretty interesting as well. In the first story last week with John, the angel appears to Zechariah to an older, respected priest in the temple, an older male priest in the temple. For all manner of speaking, in that culture, he had all of the value within himself. And speaking of his age, it is, it is likely that we could assume because of the place that he occupied that he was accomplished, that he had done good things, that people knew who he was. This older, accomplished male priest, a religious priest in Jerusalem, in Judea, that's who the first story goes to. And then the second story is to a young virgin named Mary who by assumption probably hasn't accomplished very much in her life. She's too young to have accomplished anything in her life and she is from a not important town in a not religious city. Even her name means bitter. There is no reason at all for God to show up and say I choose you except for It's grace. It's grace. The reason that God chooses to honor her, the reason that God chooses to work through her has everything to do with God's character and who he is, not who she is or what she's accomplished or where she is from. And that story of good news, setting it up that way, that the greatest of greats has come and he brings grace is what's going to change the world throughout the story of Luke and the story of Acts. That's what Luke is trying to communicate in the very way that he is communicating the story. This is the story that has started then and is carried out all the way through today, that grace is offered through Jesus. In the very uh, next verse, 31, I think it is 31, in which the angel tells Mary, and you will have a son and you will name him Jesus. Luke is different than the other gospel writers, Matthew and Mark and John. Luke, because he's not so focused on the Jewish audience and because um, that's just not really his wiring, he doesn't spend a lot of time um, defining names. Whereas Matthew will say, hey, here's a cool name. This person's named this way. And the meaning of their name has a lot to do with this storyline. Luke doesn't do that. Matthew does, though. In Matthew 121, the same story goes, and you will name him Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. That's what the name means. I know that because Jesus is the New Testament version of the Old Testament name, Joshua. God saves. That's the meaning behind what's going on in this story. That the gospel of Jesus, what Jesus is enacting, the child that Mary would birth would bring salvation to people from their sins and it would be achieved through grace. That grace is being offered to you. And today, 
like any free gift, you can accept the free gift of salvation and adoption and reconciliation and acceptance and freedom and life. You can accept that free gift the same way all gifts are accepted. All free gifts are accepted just by taking it. That's what's being offered to you today. Here's the point this morning. Grace is a gift and it is available to everyone because of a no name, no accomplishment, from nowhere girl had a baby named Jesus who gave his life and offered it. Um, This Christmas, you too can accept that gift. Here's what we do with this story. There's three things I think. First of all, you need to stop trying to earn God's love. In so many relationships, it's your work relationship, your school relationships, sometimes your spouse relationships, and your paternal relationships. We earn favor. We do what is, what is expected of us. Or we accomplish, and then we feel as though we are loved back. That's not how the story of God goes. Because favorites, based on, um, you know, like uh, accomplishments or, or attributes— is not the same as God's favor based on God's character and his decision. Stop trying to earn God's love and then remember that. Act that way. Because we try to earn our salvation, we forget that sometimes even when we accept it as a free gift, then we try to hold on to our salvation by our good works. Like if we mess this thing up, He's going to stop loving us. But the reality is, and the truth is, you did not do anything to earn your salvation. You cannot do anything to lose your salvation. And you don't do anything to keep your salvation. It is a free gift of grace. And then let that motivate you to offer kindness to others, to let them loose, to forgive them, and to choose to love them, not because of anything that they have done, And not because they have earned it, but because you didn't earn it either. Let other people loose. Earlier I asked you which of these wrappings, or really more style of wrapping, not these four specifically, is your favorite. And you probably had a number of different attributes that you would apply to them. This one has thick paper and that one rips. That one has the grid on the back. This looks more elegant and traditional. These have glitter. Whatever the attribute is that you would apply to that, it's fine. That's how favorite works. But my hope is that the next time that you see wrapping paper, whether it's the ones under your tree, whether it's a giant pile of ripped wrapping paper in the middle of the floor on Christmas morning, whatever it is and wherever it is, I pray that you would remember and thank God for this reality that God's salvation comes wrapped in grace that we don't deserve. Thank you for listening to the preaching and teaching ministry of Second Baptist. We hope that we will see you in person this next Sunday. To find more information about service times, location, and ministry offerings, visit mysecond.family. Thank you for listening.